Welcome to Derailed Trains of Thought. Welcome to our, uh, let's see, our 14th podcast. This is uh, Nick Hayden, a.k.a. Captain Nick. And this is Timothy Deal, a.k.a. Ricker and Chandler. And this is Laura Fisher, a.k.a. Maitorian. And we've got another guest with us today. It's very exciting. I thought I'd podcast with my uh, captain's eye patch today. Okay, yeah, what is with the... He, Nick, <laughs> so you folks don't know, Nick is wearing an eye patch that has an N. Yeah, it's, it. it's pretty awesome. I was worried about not having enough nicknames. Like this last week, my youth, uh, we had this Facebook message going on. And somehow they called me Captain Nick. And then one of the kids made eye patches for everyone. And so at youth group, like six of us were wearing eye patches. And it was pretty awesome. <laughs> that, that is... Uh... Amazing. And it was really nice because uh, one of my lenses, my glasses I wear at night fell out, so I just wore my eye patch and the glasses. It was much easier than fixing it. <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> and it's always great when, when you're leading a youth group and they come up with your own nickname because it becomes their own term of endearment for you. Mm-hmm. Last week when I used Omnixtith, that's one that when I was a teen librarian they came up with because it's my organization 13 name. It's, a an- nice. it's an anagram of my real name with an X thrown in. Oh, X's make everything cool. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, we'll go on with uh, Story School. Laura Fisher is with us today because we're going to be talking about fandoms, about fan communities and fan fiction and other such things, and Laura has a has very good insight into those. Laura, you want to introduce yourself, kind of give us your expertise? Sure. Um, I wanted to be a writer since I was very, very small. In fact, I realized recently that I wrote my first story before I knew how to write. I had a little notebook and a pencil, and I scribbled it in it, and I thought that looked like cursive. And I drew little pictures, and that was my first story, and it was about... Link from Legend of Zelda. So I wrote my first fan fiction when I was probably four or five years old. Wow, that <laughs> is awesome. You've been starting from a very early age. Yes, yes, very early. I've been in several fandoms, as they're called. When I was about 16, I took part in a Star Wars website called SW Story, where we did group projects. One person would write a chapter, and then another would write a, ch- a chapter. There would be branches at the end you could follow, and it was like a choose-your-own-adventure that was written as we went. It was very fun. But the best stories, it turned out, were those where one person took a line of plot and just kept going and didn't wait for people to add on, because <laughs> <laughs> that just took too long sometimes. So I wrote a couple of plots on our ongoing stories there, and uh, And I was even named Author of the Year, 2001, (laughs) something like that. I forget exactly when it was, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And then I let it go by the wayside, and I wrote my own stuff, as I had been all along, really. And then in college, I discovered it again. And again, I was writing for Star Wars, but this time for the prequels. What has always appealed to me about stories is relationships, especially between family or people who become family. 
And what I liked about the prequels was the idea of Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi becoming like a family to each other because the Jedi were very isolationist and there was even a whole plot line in the second movie about how they're not supposed to love. And yet in the books, it's very clear that the Jedi Masters love their Padawans as children. There's some stricture there and a lot of structure and some restrictions. <laughs> stricture, structure, restrictions. Uh <laughs> And yet, it was fun for me and for my fellow writers in that fandom to write stories where Qui-Gon became more like a father to Obi-Wan, and uh, how that happened, and uh, what happened afterward, and how other Jedi reacted to it, and that sort of thing. So that's what always appealed to me about that fandom. Gradually, I kind of grew out of that, and I really liked Stargate for a while, and it was the same sort of thing for me. Stargate SG-1, where you had Jack O'Neill, the colonel, and Daniel Jackson, the archaeologist, and Sam Carter, the scientist, and Tilk, the alien warrior, and they became a family to each other. They're all very different from very different backgrounds and very different cultures and very different ways of looking at things, and yet they managed to get along and to help each other. And they had fights, of course, that's what makes it interesting. And there are some really fantastic writers in that fandom. I just read some amazing stories. I mean, professional-grade stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there was in Star Wars, too, but it seemed like there was more in Stargate, almost because it was more of a grown-up thing, uh, attracted more of a grown-up audience. And then after that, I wasn't interested in fandom for a while. Then I discovered another TV show, Supernatural, which, again, it was the family for me, these two brothers, Dean and Sam, who uh, are very dependent on each other for life because the world they live in is so depressing and so dark and their mother died when Sam was a baby and Dean was four years old and then their father took them away to protect them and uh, very again very isolationist very they had to depend on each other and very different people who fought a lot but also loved each other and took care of each other and so that's what draws me to fandom is the relationships and writing in a shared universe is very fun because you build on each other. Nick knows this. We've done some group writing projects. We yep. had, for instance, there was a thing called Cobblestones. He may have talked about this before on his podcast. I don't really talk about Cobblestones. We've talked about Revolution quite a bit. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> We've talked a little bit about Cobblestones, but a lot more Revolution because we're always pining after it a little bit. Oh. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I took part in both of those, in Revolution and Cobblestones. But again, the idea of like someone starts something and then somebody else takes it and says, hmm, this is this is neat. I want to work more with this. Except in fandom, you are working with an established storyline. So you'll get ideas from the episodes, from the movies, from the books. And then some writer on the internet will, or not on the internet will say, you know, I really like this, but I don't think they went deep enough. So I am going to take this further and I'm going to write something else with it. And it's really a lot of fun. You've touched on something that I found really interesting about fan fiction because the stereotypical reaction of people who are really invested in some sort of fan community is like they don't get out enough. They don't really understand real life. They're in this own little world. But the way you describe, especially what interests you in fan fiction, these relationships between people and also the communities that you talk about, it sounds like it's very, you know, relationship based and very community based. Oh, it is. And there's there are whole like graduate level studies of fandom and what it means to be in a fandom. There's all this idea of like it's almost like an economy in some ways, especially on LiveJournal, which is where I did most of my supernatural writing. LiveJournal is like a cross between a blog and a social community. 
community. Um, you make friends there and you can read all their posts on one page and then go and comment. And it becomes like an economy. The idea you go and read someone's story and then they'll come and read yours and comment on it. I've had many, many people give me things. Like I'll write a story someone likes and they'll do a piece of art for me for the story that will go with it. Or someone will do a pod, uh, not a podcast, but a fan mix, which is a group of songs that fit some kind of theme and somebody else will do art. I've done that too. One of the big things that a lot of live journal fandoms do is called the Big Bang. This is a writing project, usually during the summer, and the idea is to write a story that is longer than a certain number of words. A lot of fandoms have 50,000 words. That was the first one in Harry Potter fandom. Others are 20,000 words. And then if you make it, if you complete that project on the deadline, they'll mar match you with an artist who will make art for your work. And that is a big draw for authors and for artists. It's a way of getting your work out there, getting more people to read it, and lots of people love big bangs. We like small stories because they can be quick and fun, but big stories are something you can bury yourself into, and there's a big following for that too. So Those are sort of like the National Novel Writing Month. Mm -hmm, but for yeah. fan fiction. But for fan fiction, okay. and usually a little longer than a month. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully, a month's rough. I've tried. Yeah, oh yeah. I've, <laughs> I've tried Nano several times. I never, never I hit 26,000 words, which is about all, all I can manage. Yeah, yeah. It's just a little too much. I guess one thing that interests me is, do you know what kind of reactions creators, because these shared universes are created, usually they're TV shows, not always, or movies. Do you have any ideas what the creators think about these fan communities? Do they do they like them? Do they embrace them? Do they kind of wish it go away? Oh, there's all different sorts of reactions. It's actually kind of interesting. Like some authors do not want fan fiction at all. Any kind of fan fiction, they don't want it to even gen, which would be like non-relationship fiction is the term for it. Like uh, Mercedes Lackey has forbidden fan fiction okay. for her works. So fanfiction.net, one of the biggest websites that hosts fanfiction, will not host works based on Mercedes Lackey because she won't allow it. There are other authors like that, too. And then there are other creators who embrace it and say, you know, this is a really wonderful thing. It's basically free advertisement. It's people going out and saying, hey, we like this so much, we did our own version. Come and check it out. <laughs> the creators of Supernatural are actually very, very responsive to fanfiction, to the fandom. They're kind of weirded out and kind of love it at the same time. When Misha Collins started on the show in season four, he was a brand new character, a brand new direction the show was going on. Always before, the show had emphasized that there were no angels, there was no God, it was just a bad, bad world. And then Misha Collins showed up playing the angel Castiel, and so it was a big explosion. Everyone's like, oh my goodness, there's angels now! <laughs> and uh, Misha was kind of an unknown actor. He His biggest part before then had been in the first season of 24 as the Russian assassin who dies. Um, and he was pretty adorable in it, but that was it. <laughs> and so this was his first kind of big role. And he has talked many times about how amazed he was by how the fandom embraced him and loved him and like immediately started communities based around his character. Um, the instant that episode went up, there was SBN underscore Castiel on LiveJournal like that night. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it, it goes pretty fast. Fandom can move very quickly. Um, so Supernatural creators really embrace it. Anyone else mm -hmm. you know offhand or... I assume most of them are probably just, you don't know, they're just kind of in the middle, they let it go. There are some who just kind of ignore it. George Lucas used to encourage fan-made videos and things like that back when it was much harder to make a home video. Now it's so easy, he's kind of stopped encouraging it. They used to have contests, I don't think they do anymore. But uh, he's never said, do not write fan yeah. fiction. And on the official, one of the most official Star Wars websites, theforce.com, or theforce.net, was where I wrote a lot of Star Wars fan fiction. Okay. And um, it seemed to be pretty well sanctioned. 
Others just never say anything. So fans assume, well, as long as, you know... No one cares. No yeah, one cares. They'll just keep doing it. And the, even those who forbid it, there are still people who will write it and just do it anonymously yeah. and hide it somewhere on the internet. Yeah, I know that. Uh, <laughs> I, I had read that J. Michael Straczynski doesn't like anyone to do fan fiction in the Babylon 5 universe. Mm -hmm. Are there any cases that you know of where the fandom has influenced a show that's ongoing? Well, yes. Okay. <laughs> I figured there was. But... Well, I mean, I keep talking about Supernatural. Well, that's what you know. Because yeah, that's, that's the biggest fandom I've been in, the most I've been involved, really. And I started talking about Misha Collins, but even more than that, Eric Kripke, the creator of Supernatural, has pretty much explicitly said, like, in the show said that he appreciates fandom and some fans didn't like some of the things he did they were very meta you know like um they did it just for the fans and it and becomes a little too obvious he's or... he's done yes he's done several episodes that were meta like there's one where sam and dean discover that there are books written about them <laughs> and nice. they're being written by a guy named chuck who turns out to be a prophet of the lord who is getting these visions of Sam and Dean's lives and then writing them down. And Castiel explicitly says, yes, these will be known as the Gospels of Winchester. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. And then there's a fan on the show named Becky, who is a big fan of the Supernatural books, and she writes fan fiction. <laughs> and she becomes Chuck's girlfriend. So, basically what Eric Kripke was saying was, I love the fans so much, <laughs> I want to take them out. Nice. <laughs> At least that's that's how, that's how many people have taken it. Other people were not so happy. Just like, I want my fourth wall back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Doctor Who talks about there being people watching him. and mm -hmm. Or as far as, you know, well, which yeah. makes sense. He causes enough of a stir wherever he goes. That... Yeah. Most shows are much more nuanced in their acknowledgement that there are people watching. Supernatural is right out there. <laughs> And it always interested me in, you know, what level, and not just in fan fiction, but in what level fan communities themselves influence the shows that we watch. I think in Star Wars, to a certain extent, I still, I've never really understood Boba Fett's appeal. You know, mm -hmm. he appears in the first, each time he appears yeah. in the Star, in the original yeah. trilogy, yeah. it's so brief. Uh -huh. Weirdly enough, and this is me defending the prequels again, <laughs> but, but weirdly enough, I think when we saw his father, Jango Fett, it was like, that's the Boba Fett that the fans had always wanted to see for whatever reason. And then like started hating him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. It is it is very odd how people take things and sometimes you give them exactly what they want and, and then they, they don't like it. it. They yeah. didn't want it. No, like you, I never really understood the appeal of Boba Fett. Like not emotionally. On an intellectual level, I can see, yeah, he's cool and you like exploring the idea of him and there were stories written in the extended universe, the novels and the books mm -hmm. about him that people loved, like Boba Fett's just, you know, awesome. And then once you, you say, Oh, here he is as a little kid, I was like, No <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well there that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. fair. He's not cool anymore. <laughs> That actually brings me up to uh, another idea, or I guess question I had. Do you think fandoms can sometimes be overprotective of a show? Oh, yes. And do you think that is that what you would call maybe a, the dark side of fandoms? Or is it just natural and people just overplay, overplay that part of it? Oh, there's always people like that. For any kind of created story, there's always going to be people who take it into their hearts and say, this is fantastic, this is what I want to be. Then there will be other people who are a little more standoffish and can say, you know, I like this, but it has this problem and this problem and this problem. And there are people like that with every show. Supernatural has a relatively big fandom because it appeals to a good demographic, a large number of women like it. 
women are mostly who do fandom, just speaking in who general. Write, who write about it. And yeah, um, like, there's no really hard numbers, but probably 90% of people who participate in fandom are women. And Supernatural just happens to be a show that appeals to women, so it has, it has a big fandom. And there are, there are so many people that I know personally who say this show is so great it can never do wrong there's a bad episode like oh it was awesome I loved it you know it's fantastic every second was pure genius <laughs> and then there'll be other people who like they loved it in season one and season two but season three kind of like oh this is crap I hate this now you know it's like that yeah. always happens every season there will be someone who says I don't like the show anymore and other people are like it's so great it's just getting better yeah so yeah. there's extremes on both ends there's extremes on both ends there's extremes on every end I mean it's a multifaceted thing because people are different and you get a big enough group of people you'll get all kinds of people and, and I can attest to that myself and I think it's no secret around here that my biggest fandom is probably anything related to the Muppets uh-huh. <laughs> I'm wearing a Kermit t-shirt as we speak um but it's true anytime the muppets have tried to stage a comeback of one kind over for the last 10 years mm-hmm. and anytime you know there's been a new movie or a new tv sh- or you know rumored tv show they've been a lot of rumored tv shows that never happened but anytime i would always go to the forums and you know there's definitely a, a muppet fan community out there oh, as I well it. and the discussion boards are always is this the right thing and debating whether or not this is the you know oh, yeah. are they trying to be too hip are they trying to be too childish or are they uh-huh. is this what jim would have wanted to do and oh, i'm not surprised at all no that's exactly the sort of discussion you get in every fan of my been in before i was on live journal in stargate there were these email lists to get sent out and it'd be the same thing people talking about you know ah oh, daniel jackson left the show and now he's come back was it the right way to do it <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. it sucks now we hate jonas quinn you know it's etc and even now i actually read a very good article about because the new movie coming out and it's generating more attention like any tv mm-hmm. movie they've done in the last 10 years for good reason disney's doing a great job with ad campaign but basically the article was how to prepare for the new movie, you know, mm-hmm. get let's get in the right mindset here. And one of the things he said is you're going to see a lot of people talking about, yeah, I'm a hardcore Muppet fanatic in your, in your head. You're like, where have you been all this time? <laughs> We've been following them. We know all these characters. You, you think just because you know who Bunsen and Beaker are, you think you're so you awesome. Think you're a fan. Yeah. Oh, there's that too. But he was like, be calm, you know, we want everyone to enjoy all the Muppet glory, so, but there is that sense of ownership about mm-hmm. it, and, oh, yeah. and entitlement almost, oh, and, yeah. which gets really hard sometimes, and the creator's like, but this is how we want to do this, and mm-hmm. the fans are like, no, you're, you've got it all wrong. Oh, every fandom is, has moments like this. I, I'm not even really a part of the Chuck fandom, you know, the TV show with the guy yeah. who's the intersect, mm-hmm. but I, I read an article about how the fans were throwing this big hissy fit because Chuck and Sarah weren't together yet. And, like, it was, like, in the first few episodes of the most recent season, or the season before that, because they are together now. But anyway, and there's this article about how they were all, like, someone wrote a review, and they had comment pages, like, 200 pages long. All these people saying, why aren't they together yet? They're supposed to be together. And I'm sitting there as, you know, a casual fan. I enjoy Chuck, but I'm not in the fan. And be like... Well, obviously, they're setting it up for later. <laughs> Come on. Uh-huh. But yeah, there's people who expect things to go the way they want it to go. And when it doesn't, they're like, oh, I hate this now. Last episode, we actually talked about how to read a story, you know, how the creators see it. And mm-hmm. so there, it's interesting that disconnect sometimes. The people who love it the most don't see it the way that the people who are actually, you know, in the process of making it do it. And of course, we had to talk about loss. And I will bring it up one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Because that was, again, a case where some fans had a very different understanding than the creators well, I did. Well, I think that's a good example of 
part of it sounds like fandom is is the shared community. It's talking to other people about something every a large number of people enjoy. And what Lost had is that now they didn't just like to talk about; it, they like to try to solve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that caused kind of a very very rabid fan base. Mm, yeah. Because it's not just I'm invested in the characters. I'm invested with my conception of what the show is going to be in the future yeah. being right. Yeah. Which I'm not sure had ever been done to such an extent, sort of like the X-Files. The X-Files had tried some. Yeah, I think Lost... There was, seemed like there was another show between X-Files that tried to use the internet like that. Maybe some Josh Whedon stuff. Oh, yeah, probably Buffy. Buffy's got a huge fan base. But it seems to me, and maybe you can confirm this, that fandoms tend to arise more around visual medium because it's easier to have a shared community about it than books. I agree. Yeah, I think books are very subject to interpretation. You and the person next to you can read the book and have entirely different ideas of what the people look like, how Mm. they talk, what exactly is going on in the scenes, you know, like what's going on behind the scenes, Mm. what the characters are thinking. In movies and television, it's usually pretty clear. I mean, there's some subject to interpretation, but it's much more, you know what they look like, you know what they sound like, you know how they talk, you know their mannerisms, mm-hmm. you know exactly their reaction to when somebody else blew up a bomb, what their face looked like <laughs> as they were looking at it. Everyone has a very specific look at what the characters are and what they're doing. Well, I guess everyone's processing at the same time mm-hmm. if it's a show on. Everyone's exactly. watching it the same week as opposed to, you know, Harry Potter, because it's very popular, has a big fandom, but mm-hmm. it's accumulated probably over the years. Oh, yeah. Harry Potter is multi-layered. <laughs> um, because it seems like you would have to hit one of those series that hits bestsellers multiple times to hit the sort of fandom level. Oh, yeah. It's much harder for books. Yeah. Yeah, and more people will watch television than watch exactly. TV books anyway. It's easier to absorb. Yeah, and TV shows nowadays tend to have bigger fandoms than movies because there was quite a large fandom based around Inception for a while because it was such a unique idea and interesting characters. And the characters didn't really get explored much beyond, like, Leo's character. So people wanted to write about them. But that's kind of died away by now because it was one movie and it was over and obviously didn't need a sequel. And yeah. <laughs> There was plenty of discussion about what that top meant at the end. (laughs) Oh my goodness, that went on forever. But uh, it's sure there's still people writing for it, but it's pretty much done. Whereas an ongoing show like Supernatural, which is in its sixth season, just finished the sixth season, every season you've got more people coming on and watching Mm -hmm. it. You've got people who stayed on from the last year, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and growing and growing. And every episode, you can sit down on a computer and you write your reaction to the episode and say, I like this part, I didn't like this part, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And everyone will do that, and then you'll go to your friends (laughs) list on Live Journal and read everybody's reactions and comment on everyone. It just makes you so deeply involved when you have something that is airing every week. I wonder if Dickens ever had fan fiction written. Oh, <laughs> oh my! Sure. I, I, they're probably, or at least stories told, you know, mm-hmm. be more oral. But because the serialized format lends itself, it to, does. Yeah. To a a greater involvement. Oh, I know for a fact that there were things like that because okay. um, before there was TV, of course, yeah. there were books, and everybody would read them. There'd be the Penny Dreadfuls. Oh yeah. And there would be there would be unauthorized sequels, unauthorized finishes to ongoing series. There'd be all kinds of stuff like that. I'm mm-hmm. sure Dickens had his share. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Probably. I, I know I saw, at one point I saw a book in the library that was about the life of young uh, Long John Silver, mm-hmm. So, which I think was probably more like recently written, but still. No, no, there have been... There's been fan fiction since ancient yeah. times. I mean, who was Homer but someone who was repeating <laughs> yeah. a story he'd heard before? And probably embellishing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I'm pretty sure that Jesus and Mary Magdalene romance was like some of the first slap oh. fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> That would be Het. Oh, right, But, sorry. yes. No, Slash would be Jesus Judas. Oh, okay. My, my bad. That's a different uh, beast. 
The Greeks might yeah. have wrote it. I, uh, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you know, the, the Aeneid, that was fan fiction of the Iliad. Oh, that's so, true. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's true. And, you know, nowadays, people write sequels to classic books. Like, my sister hates the sequel to Gone with the Wind. Uh. Um, <laughs> but, you was know, it called? Scarlet, I think. <laughs> Is it? it I, might I think be. it might be. Can't remember. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think she she just can't stand it. Yeah. Well, that's unofficial, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I would think so. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's a different perception because unofficial sequels to classic books is like being clever and literary. Yeah. But you know, writing an unofficial sequel to a TV show is like, oh, that's just fan fiction. Which sometimes yeah. <laughs> sometimes I like, sometimes I don't. Like I love the Peter and the Starcatcher series, which is a series of prequels to Peter Pan. They're really fun adventure books. Mm-hmm. But I I don't like the entire concept behind Wicked which is that Broadway musical. Oh, yeah. Which I know a lot of people love it. My sister Mm -hmm. loves it. But I'm like, she's a witch. I don't need you to color it in gray. Uh Wizard of Oz should be in black and white. Right, yeah. I understand where you're coming from with that. Do you think there are any reasons where there shouldn't be fan fiction? I mean, like certain, like I don't know, you know, like some authors, that like don't some authors it. that they, they're so distinct that you just say, you know what? Personally, um, maybe you say, I won't touch that world. I am not a fan of Bible fan fiction. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I can concur with that. That yeah. is taking it too far. <laughs> what, and and well, for one for me would be Tolkien and Lewis. That's what I was thinking. It's, yeah. it's just it's such a powerful, distinct vision. You almost don't want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mess with it. And I know there are good stories out there in those fandoms. I even wrote once a supernatural Narnia crossover. Nice. Like I set, remember that. It was set between two of the books, so it didn't have any of the characters, you yeah. know, just the world. And yeah. I thought that was, well, Aslan was in it. But, you know, <laughs> it has to be in it. I thought that was close enough, you know. And I enjoyed writing it, and I enjoyed reading it. Someone did a, a pod fic of it, which is where you read it for people to listen to. But that's all I wanted to do with Narnia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to read Narnia fiction. I don't want to know that there's Narnia fiction. <laughs> It's just, I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that makes sense. Yeah. And before we wrap this up, that brings up another question I, I had. It certainly sounds like th- a good thing about fan communities is that it does encourage a lot of creativity. And like you said, it has, yes. you've got this built-in world that you can explore and bounce off these characters because you already know them. Do you think that in any ways it can sometimes inhibit creativity because you're, like, you're just stuck in one world and not going off and doing your own stuff? For some people, I think it can. Everyone's different, of course. When I'm deeply involved in a fandom, I have a hard time writing my own stuff because my ideas are all for the fandom. But, you know, that happens whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, You can get deeply involved in your own stuff, too. And for me, I know I'm a bit of a compulsive. I will get deeply involved in something for a while, and then I'll lose interest and move on to something else. And that's okay. That's just how I work. For some people, maybe all they ever want to do is fandom. And that's fine, you know, if it brings them happiness and they bring other people happiness with their work. There's nothing wrong with that. I do think that if you want to be a serious writer, you should be willing to become deeply involved in your own things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it can be a struggle, especially when you haven't written for a while or you don't enjoy writing anymore. For in that case, fan fiction can be good because it gives you something to spark your creativity. Like, I hadn't written anything for, like, years before I got involved in Supernatural fandom and then I wrote hundreds of thousands of words within a couple of years and it was really good for me it got my creativity juicing again now I'm writing more original stuff which I also enjoy you just have to go with what feels right sometimes I know that sounds very wishy-washy and very you know not really who we want to be as people but sometimes that's how it works as a creative person and I think and I'll just wrap up the fandom 
it seems to me that one of the real benefits of fandom is it brings back the interactive social aspect of writing. Mm -hmm. Because writing becomes so, like, you're in your little office and writing stuff. Yeah. And yeah. they send out to publishers. They say, no, this is horrible. Yeah. The community of writers seems like a really, something I've always wanted, but I've never oh, been yeah. involved in fan fiction per se. Yeah, and that's one thing that can be dangerous about fandom is you can get addicted to it because it's instant feedback. Hmm. You post a story, and then if you have a number of people who like your stuff, as I do, you'll get comments mm -hmm. almost instantly. Like within a few hours, people are saying, I really like this, mm -hmm. or you know, Which something nice. like that. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely addictive. And you can say, I'd rather do this than work on my own stuff. Because mm -hmm. working on your own stuff is hard. Oh, yes. It's, <laughs> it's so hard. And then uh -huh. no one reads it, and you send it out, and no one buys it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep. So And plus, there's just the allure of staying in this world that you love so much. Oh, yeah. I know for there was a time in high school where I actually got kind of convicted about spending too much stuff re reading about Star Wars stuff. So did I in high yeah. school. <laughs> I gave all my books to my dad, and he put them in his closet. Oh, no. <laughs> like, like, I actually, God finally told me, you need to stop this for a while. I was like, okay. So I went without months without reading, watching any kind of Star Wars. And it was hard for a mm -hmm. while. But finally, you know, he... I got back into it, but it was yeah. it was a good time. It was a good fast for a while. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to be a serious writer, you do need to be careful of fandom and fan fiction because it can be addictive. But if you need a quick jolt, if you need some instant feedback, it can be really nice. Yeah. That sounds like a great ending quote. All right. Thanks again. Yeah. And, of course, you're welcome yeah. to stay with us for the podcast. I know we've got some other stuff we want to do with you, so mm -hmm. stay tuned. All, All right. right. So I guess next we'll do our first soundtrack. So my soundtrack this time, it's going to require a little setting up. This is a song I first heard in a Flash animated series called Super Mario Bros. Z. Crazy Flash animation thing with Mario and Sonic teaming up in the Mushroom Kingdom to fight Mecha Sonic or something. Really evil. So obviously it's a very fan-produced thing and very geeky. And the other fun thing about it is that it includes a lot of in-references from lots of Mario games. So this song is from this one fight scene where Mario, Sonic, Luigi, and that gang, they're fighting off these guys called the Axum Rangers, which is from Super Mario RPG, which is kind of a spoof of the Power Rangers, along with these other guys called the Koopa Brothers, which is from the game Paper Mario, and they're kind of a spoof on the Ninja Turtles. So it's basically a fight with Mario Sonic versus the Power Rangers versus the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> so you can imagine how uh, that's incredibly nerdy, but this music fits today somehow. It's called Back to Mad. It's by a band with the unfortunate, rather unfortunate name of Texas Faggot. But here it is. Enjoy.
So we're back, and I hope your eardrums aren't bleeding too badly. No, not too badly. I got some paper towel stuff in them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so next we'll go on to a bit of story. For today's pin of story, we decided that uh, since we have our guest here, Laura Fisher, is going to write or read one of her short pieces of fan fiction. All right, this is a very short fic known as a comment fic. On live journal, comment boxes have a character space limit, so it's fun to try to write a short story that fits within that character limit. This was based on a prompt from a friend named Lita of Jupiter. She wanted Obi-Wan and Dean, and her prompt was bar fights. Now, so this is a crossover, which is one of the great things about fandom, is you can take two different worlds that just seem so strange and put them both together. And there are several different kinds of crossover. The most common one would be ones where you can say the two different worlds pretty much exist concurrently. Like Supernatural and, S and Stargate SG-1, you can say pretty much they both exist at the same time. They're both set in America in modern times. They seem relatively similar. So you can say, you know, while SG-1 is going off and fighting aliens, Sam and Dean are fighting monsters. Sure enough, that works. But then you've got, like, Star Wars Supernatural, which is a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is more what you might call an alternate reality crossover, where you just decide pretty much these characters actually exist in this other world. So for the basis of this crossover, I decided that Dean and Sam just have always been in the Star Wars universe. And I got this one on this dustball planet on the Outer Rim. Can't even remember the name. The guy turned his head to show Obi-Wan the scar under his right ear. Obi-Wan wondered what he had ever done to deserve this much attention from a drunken stranger at a bar. This was all Qui-Gon's fault, telling him to go out and have fun for a while. You can't spend every moment of every day training. Obi-Wan frowned and sipped his ale. He had no idea why people found this sort of thing entertaining. And this one on my arm, man, it's huge! Obi-Wan let out a breath and put a hand on the stranger's wrist, stopping him from pulling up his sleeve. Friend, I mean you no disrespect, but what indication did I give you that I wanted to hear the history of every scar on your body? The man gave him a sideways smirk, looking at Obi-Wan out of the corner of one green eye, and for a moment he looked like a boy, little older than Obi-Wan, not the veteran soldier he had appeared to be at first, roughened and scarred by many battles. Hey buddy, no disrespect taken. Just wanted to get your attention so it would look natural when I did this. He leaned in close to murmur in Obi-Wan's ear. There's a couple of guys telling you back corner near the hollow chest table. Then he leaned back, smooth as silk, tipping his glass toward the bartender to signal for another round. Obi-Wan didn't turn around, but expanded his senses to take in the men the green-eyed stranger spoke of. It was two of the mercenaries he and Qui-Gon had fought on their last mission. Their minds were full of malice, and yes, they intended to do him great harm. But Obi-Wan was a Jedi. He turned toward the other man, casual, setting his glass down and putting his back to the bar, angling his head so that he appeared to still be deep in conversation. Thank you, friend. What is your name? I'm in your debt. I'm Dean, dude, and no sweat. You want some help taking care of these guys? I am a Jedi Padawan, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I can handle it. Dean raised his hands and turned in the same way Obi-Wan had, leaning back against the bar. Didn't say you needed help. Asked if you wanted it. Obi-Wan gave him an assessing look, seeing the hard competence barely hidden by his cocky smile, the rippling of well-hewn muscles under his tunic. Dean's sense in the Force was focused, powerful, and surprisingly pure. This was a man who fought to protect others, not for his own gain. At last, Obi-Wan nodded. I wouldn't mind. Dean rolled his sleeves up to his elbows, and they were ready. 
nice. I did sense just a little bit of fangirlism with the description <laughs> of rippling muscles and stuff, but we'll let that pass. <laughs> I enjoyed that. That was nice. Yeah, very nice. And I guess we'll end our bit of story. And so let's go on to our next segment. Crackpot's Corner. All right, Tim, do you have a crackpot? corner a crazy idea that will probably never happen but you would like to uh well, affect on the world anyways well, well i think that this is kind of a mutual one since uh, and it ties up with our theme of fandom um, <laughs> it does indeed you and i worked together on this crazy idea this was back back when the last season of lost was coming out last year Nick and I used to do these online discussions like the day after the episode premiered. Very um, frantic discussion about lunchtime over <laughs> the internet. Yeah, talking about all the characters. And, and one thing, it was this is after the comment where like Saeed and Dogen had their fight and were commenting how cool it was. And one of us mentioned how awesome it would be to have a Lost-themed fighting game, like a computer game. And we went into, we had this, a lot of in, great ideas for it. We had a lot of detail. Yeah, I, I was looking over our the record of it today, and it was, we were pretty impressed. Uh, impressive and impressed. Because you know, Boss has got a lot of great characters you're fighting. I mean, Saeed is a former assassin. You've got, well, Jim is a former, you know, like bouncer he's got his own set of moves sawyer and then so not only that then also you could have some you know pretty famous pairings like jack versus sawyer all these rivalries that took place in the show and we thought they should each have some sort of special ability and or form and we we had ones like um well obviously Locke would turn into the smoke monster obviously uh, <laughs> why not and <laughs> You know, Kate would be really good at running away. <laughs> um, Hurley would have could put on his Mr. Clucker's outfit. You had a lot of crazy ideas for Hurley, like between like I think the oh, VW Cluck, bus, the VW bus would come out and smack someone, or he like smash someone with a giant ank. The... Oh, ank from the ank, yeah. yeah, that's what the word. We had a, a special boss, Mikhail, who would have you had to kill him three times. That's right, because, <laughs> because Mikhail just it's really hard to dot kill him off. And then we oh, also, Sawyer, Sawyer, we had we had Sawyer, and then if Juliet would die, he'd go crazy on everyone. That's right. <laughs> well, I think taunting would have to be a big part of it. You know, some characters would have really powerful taunts that really throw the other one off. Like, Ben would be really good at it. Sawyer would have all kinds of, you know, the big thing, names he could toss the to the other one. The thing with Ben is that he could take a beating, like, constantly. That's true. Because <laughs> Ben is always getting beat up. He wouldn't be very strong, but he could, he could take a licking. Yeah. <laughs> And then one of the coolest ideas, though, was the destructible stages. You'd have, like, the hatch that you'd oh. have, you'd have, <laughs> only have a certain amount of time to fight in before it blew up. Or, or in the sub submarine before it blew up. Or, 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 or the, the freighter before it blew up. Or the looking or the looking hatch. Or the looking glass. Before it flooded. Before it flooded. A lot of things got blown up and lost. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I, quite, quite a bit of stuff. You know, the thing is, if you fought Richard, you couldn't kill him. Oh, that's true. Well, I guess you could kill him. Well, you'd have to be, you'd have to... That, if the island let him, if the island yeah. let him die. <laughs> well, and well, part of our idea was, I think we also had the idea of maybe doing like a tag team mode, yeah. where Jack and uh, Kate would tag team up against Charlie and Claire could work together. Uh -huh, and and like, if if Charlie would die, then Claire turned to Feral Claire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I think anytime one of the partners would die, the other the partner would like become really intense, and you almost didn't want to kill the partner because it was so dangerous. Desmond w could could read what you were going to do before it happened. <laughs> I, we never quite figured out the game <laughs> mechanics on that one. <laughs> but then the other idea was to turn it into a card game. 
well, yeah, we didn't talk too much about it. It turned like a Killer Bunnies esque card yeah. game where there'd be, I guess, two sides. You'd be the man in black or the or Jacob, and you're trying to con- either redeem characters for your side or kill them off. I think it have to be. Yeah, it, I think it'd be very story based almost. Yeah, but I'm not as familiar with card based mechanics, so I think that's one reason why we never. I mean, Killer Bunnies is like the only one I've really ever <laughs> played in much that's, detail, and that's insane, anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true, but at least it's not Yu Gi Oh or Magic. So yeah, that's our. I, I think I think when you petition, I think Damon Lin will be all about a fighting game. He's I, lost. I think he would too. It's he's he seems to be geeky enough that you'd be. Then if you you put like up up down down left right left right B right start, then you can play as Damon Lin Loft and Carlton Cruz. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That would be fantastic. <laughs> of course, some people would get that just so they could beat them up. That's true. <laughs> But, you know, this is kind of an, you could branch this idea off into a lot of things, because, you know, most franchises, when they make a video game, it's they try to base it so much off the story, which you can't pull off as well. But why not just do a fighting game of... For everything. I mean, I guess they've done <laughs> they've done Star Wars fighting games. Well, they've like done that. Final Fantasy. You know, they pulled all the different That's characters true. from Final Fantasy. From I mean, different franchises. I mean, an Inception fighting game. <laughs> You know, yeah. Pride and Prejudice fighting game. <laughs> well, you never know. I think they're they're planning to do a movie on Pride and Prejudice and, and zombies. Oh, now that would be that would be. So I'm sure that's around the corner. No, no, it needs to be a first person shooter shooter with Mr. Darcy and a shotgun. <laughs> I think it'd be pretty awesome. That would be interesting. Yeah. In, uh, in, in um, Nether, what's the mansion that um, Bingley lives at? Netherfield. Okay, no one knows Pride and Prejudice. No. no I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I should. I have four sisters that watch it regularly. I've read it more than once, but I don't remember that many details. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've seen I've seen the movie a couple times with Uh Natasha, and I've read it once. But yeah, I think fighting games for almost everything. Yeah, (laughs) it could work. They could make a lot more money. Come on, Cowboys vs. Aliens is (laughs) or Cowboys Aliens are (laughs) asking for a fighting game. Yeah, seriously. Oh, they probably already. Or they just need a here we go. Just Spielberg's greatest hits fighting game. Oh man. Like, like cross doing them. Yeah, that could be awesome. Like, man, although it'd get really messed up if you had a crossover of like War of the Worlds and ET. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be sad. That'd be that, w- that would be sad. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we should do that. Yeah, <laughs> we need to start a game company now. Well, Laura, I'm sure you've had a lot of cracky ideas in your fan communities. Can you think of anything that was probably the most far off? I know some of your the memes that you would do were very entertaining when you'd have like so a set of questions and then see like how characters would, would interact with each other and. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, crack is pretty much a genre. In <laughs> I should have uh, known. People will write crack stories be- with the idea of being this is so crazy you couldn't have come up with it unless you were on crack. So like um, characters turning into animals, um, male character characters turning into females, and vice versa. Um, <laughs> Objects coming alive, just lots and lots and lots of those. <laughs> and some of them we hope, we probably hope, will never come to into fruition. Well, and you've got a world where magic is real, you know, pretty much That's anything. True. Of course, if you call cracky as a genre, sometimes Doctor Who is cracky in and oh, of itself. It's true. It doesn't even need fan fiction to become <laughs> insane. No, every show, like toward the end of its run, does more what you can call canon crack. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, this actually happened in the storyline. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> All right, I guess that's our episode for this time. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can get a hold of us at our website, which is derailtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. Leave us comments. We will... Uh... We'll talk about them if they're interesting. Yes. So <laughs> We're going to try to give you some sort of award, but we have no awards. Free, 
free publicity for your site if you talk about which we'll mention Laura's in a minute here but let's also mention that we have an email address which no one has ever used <laughs> but we always mention it anyway it's derailtrains at gmail.com send us artwork yeah <laughs> And yes, yeah, we we don't have any fan art of our own. Of course, we don't. People don't really know what we look like unless well, they've met us before. Well, I have a I have a pirate eye patch, so that's true. <laughs> that's all you need. Yeah. And you could dress me up in an Organization Thirteen outfit if I you thought, want. But you're wearing a current shirt, so. Oh, that's true. So. Yeah, one way or another, they can do it. Yeah, if we have enough stalkers out there, they can figure out what we look it's like. Like Kermit and a pirate, do it. <laughs> yep, that'd be awesome. But uh, Lord, do you want to share with us where you do most of your stuff? I'm mostly based on Live Journal. It's Maychorian.LiveJournal.com. M A Y C H O R I A N. I am Maychorian pretty much everywhere on the internet. It's a word I made up. <laughs> <laughs> so if we see Maychorian, it's probably you. It's probably me. At least we hope so. <laughs> <laughs> And so I guess I'll go ahead and introduce my soundtrack. Speaking of fandoms, since Tim and I can't help but mention Lost almost every episode, I thought I'd finally play some music from Lost. Michael Giacchino, who did the music for Lost, and Alias, and Up, and Ratatouille, and Cars 2, and, and Super 8, and Super 8, is one of my new favorite composers. And I decided to play this, the final song from the final episode of the final season, it's called Moving On. It's eight minutes. I won't play the whole thing. I can't play the whole thing. Kind of ironic title since some of us can't seem to move on. I know. It's kind of sad. We have to go back. <laughs> but I thought it had some of the some of the reoccurring, more melodic themes to it. I read actually today that Michael Giacchino, for over the course of Lost, developed over 40 themes for characters and other and ideas that he interwove. And I guess most of them got used in season six, one way or another. Nice. But so this has some of the big themes, the life and death theme some of the other themes and I hope you enjoy it's really pretty and nice and um stringy so <laughs> <laughs> all right so yes this has been Nick and this is Tim and this is Laura ciao <laughs> adios bye